welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Well, welcome. Welcome back to Redeemer Students. We are looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Okay? But before we get there, before we get there, everyone all good and settled? Before we get there, I want to remind you of what's happened in the history of Israel. So, there's this people, this people of God, which are in Egypt, a land of slavery, where they have slave drivers. Can you imagine slavery? They have these slave drivers who beat them mercilessly, who make them work constantly. They work in the heat. They work all the time. And not only that, not only are they in slavery, but the Pharaoh of the land commands for all their children to be just put to death. All the the male children are to be just killed. So all the guys here would just be gone. Especially you. I would be gone too. I would be gone too. So all the guys would be gone. All the children were put to death. This is not, I mean, it's not funny. It's a serious thing. All the children were put to death. And this is the, that's the state that they're living in. They're in slavery, working, children being put to death. But God, with his, with his power, comes in to the story and he takes down the Pharaoh. He annihilates the pagan gods and he takes his people, his chosen people, out of Egypt. And then he leads them through the wilderness. And sometimes they're in the desert and they're so thirsty and so hot in the desert that their tongue sticks to their mouth. But then God provides water for them. Or sometimes they're so hungry that they can't go anymore and they start complaining and then God provides food for the people, these people who he's chosen. And then they come up against this giant sea that they cannot pass. And there's people behind them trying to kill them. Pharaoh and his army. And God literally opens the sea so that they can walk through that. And then he just crushes the sea on the enemies of his people. He destroys Pharaoh and his army, drowns them in the Red Sea. And they're annihilated. And then God leads this people to the foot of a big, tall mountain called Mount Sinai. And as they, as they look up, they see the sky behind the mountain is darkening. And there's these flashes of lightning and these peals of thunder. This loud thunder and, and fierce lightning. And then they hear this trumpet sound. A trumpet like, like there's going to be a king coming. And it just, it just splits through the air, this trumpet noise. And then pretty soon they realize the king is coming. God is coming to meet with them on this mountain. And if, if they were to look up, they see the mountain. And surrounding the mountain are these thick black curtains of smoke. And then the glory of the Lord in the form of, of a flame, a fire, comes and descends onto the mountain. And it sits on top of the mountain. The king's come. God's come to meet with his people. His presence is there. And this, this thousands of feet foot tall mountain is just shaking and trembling. Because the glory of the Lord is there. And the holiness and the glory of the Lord, we know it's there. Because God said, if anything touches the mountain, boom, it's dead. So if you're hanging out with your buddy next to the mountain, you're an ancient Israelite, and your buddy just kind of leans out on the mountain, boom, dead. Or you got your dog on a leash, and little Fido gets out and runs and touches the mountain, boom, dead. Because the glory of the Lord and the holiness of the Lord was on the mountain there. And so all of this, what this has to do with the law is that all of the law, the Ten Commandments, 
has to be understood in light of God's glory and presence being revealed and, and manifested, shown to his people. And so keep that in mind as we look at Exodus 20. Again, like I said, we're going to begin a study of the Ten Commandments. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? How many of you have obeyed all the Ten Commandments? All right. Um, so the Ten Commandments were these laws which God gave to Moses and to the people of Israel. And when he spoke to them as a revelation of his own righteousness. The law is a revelation of God's righteousness. And so if we were to say, okay, what are the Ten Commandments? Just give me a, a concise statement. What are the Ten Commandments? In a very basic sense, they are the ten laws which God has given to Israel. He's given to us, telling us what we ought to do and telling us what we ought not to do. And they tell us how to function properly in relationship to God and in relationship to other people. And so if you looked at the Ten Commandments, God gave them in two tablets of stone. You guys ever seen that? Like the two tablets of stone? One of them had four laws on it, which told the people and tell us how we are to live in relationship to God, in love to God. And then the other had six laws on it telling how we are to live in relationship to one another, how we are to serve one another and love one another. And so as we're looking at the Ten Commandments, keep this in mind. The whole law comes down to love. It's not not cheesy, that's not a cliche, that's genuine. If we're to obey the laws, we have to be driven by love. Love for God for the first four and love for one another in the second second six. Jesus says this. When he's asked to sum up the entire law, he says the entire law can be summed up like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then the second is like it, and that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Gently nudge your neighbor with your elbow. Alright? So that's your direct neighbor. The guys are starting to play football. That's your direct neighbor. But every person in this room is your neighbor. Students, every person in this room is your neighbor. And all the people outside are your neighbors. Anyone who you encounter on a daily basis is your neighbor. And so God's law says that you are to love those people as much as you love yourself. That's a very high calling. That's a very strenuous task I had uh, you know you know like little kids usually can't, can't they can't talk very well and so one of my little, little siblings would uh, run around and we'd, you know we'd be like well, what are we talking about they'd be like the ten commandments <laughs> it's kind of cute but you know it's telling us what the commandments are they command something of us they're demanding something of us the ten commandments they're, they're telling us what we must do right the law says do And so keep that in mind as we go through this. And remember that love is the motor which drives obedience to God's law. Without love, you will not fulfill the law. But if you have love, you can fulfill the law. But the thing is, none of us are capable of fulfilling the law. Because we do not have love in our hearts. We've all failed in this. I've broken the commandments in many ways this week. I was convicted writing this because even as I was writing it, I was realizing ways that I was breaking the commandments. God's commandments to me. His law. I've not treasured or worshipped God as I should. I've not loved people in my life like I should. Use maybe a harsh or angry tone with them. Even, even in times when I'm preparing to speak to you guys. These things are happening. I'm breaking the law because I don't have love for people in my heart like I should. You've all broken the commandments. Probably even since being in the gym and then moving over here. I've seen a number of you break the commandments tonight. Think about a couple of them. You shall have no other gods before me. Shall not have idols. That's the first one. A lot of you guys don't have like idols set up in your room. He agrees. A lot of you don't have. You might. I don't know. You don't have idols set up in your room, 
We have idols set up all over our hearts. We have little shrines to idols in our hearts, junior hires. What your sports, when they take up a ton of your time, that's a sign that that could be an idol. Or where your affections are, where your desires are, where your thoughts go when you're simply resting. What are the things that you are thinking on? That will often tell you what you are, what you are um, looking to for hope and for satisfaction. Or you shall not take God's name in vain. That's an interesting one. I've heard a number of you take God's name in vain. Perhaps you have. That's a terrible thing to do. You're taking the name of a holy God and you're putting it in the place of a cuss word, a filthy word. When you say Jesus or you say God in a, in a flippant way like that. And some others of us who haven't taken God's name in vain, perhaps we stand in church on Sunday and we're singing songs or something like we're worshiping and we're saying names like God or Jesus or anything. We're standing before God and we're, we're meaning nothing by it. It's just words coming out of our mouths and we mean it with a light and a simple heart. We mean nothing by it. That's taking the name of God in vain. Or you shall remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's interesting. Sabbath day is when we meet together with God's people in the church. A lot of us are just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm sick today. I don't want to go to church. Or we got sports clubs on Sunday. God's commanded his people to meet together as a church. Not to neglect that day, not to forget about that day, but to meet together with the saints, with God's people, to be encouraged in the church. And we break that often. How about this one? You shall honor your father and your mother. I'm sure you guys, junior high, are good on that, right? <laughs> no. I still dishonor my mother and my father. You shall honor your father and your mother. God has put them in authority over us, our mothers and our fathers. Sometimes they're great parents, sometimes they're really not great parents. But God has put them in authority over us. And so to honor them is then to honor God. So we <laughs> don't live up to that one often. You shall not lie. Many of you lie all the time to get yourself out of trouble, lie to your friends because you don't want to be honest about something. Even the smallest little lie is a lie. And it's breaking God's commandments. James says if you break one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of them. You shall not steal. I accidentally stole something when I was a kid. Took a little card out of a flower shop. My mom was like, you gotta pay for that. And I was like, oh. So, you have to be careful. Not to steal, there's other ways of stealing things. Like saying, hey, I just wanna get a water at a, at a restaurant and then going up and getting pop instead. It's stealing. There's simple things, simple ways. But God has told us how we're to live in his world, rightly. And when we break these things, even by, even by the littlest bit, we're breaking the whole law of God and we stand justly condemned before him. You shall not covet. Some of you guys are like looking over, like, dude, my buddy's got a sick PlayStation. Man, I wish I had that. Man, he's whatever. He's such a jerk. We're coveting what other people have. God has seen fitting and good to give you exactly what you have. And nothing more. Nothing less either. But whatever you have is from the hand of God. And to covet is to go against his will in that. So, with that in mind, knowing that we have broken the law. Junior hires, I know every one of you in this room, and I myself, have not loved the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, nor have I loved my neighbor as myself. I have failed to love many of you in this room. And so as I speak this, I speak it to myself as well. I speak it to my own heart. So let's look at Exodus. Exodus 20, verse 1, if you have it open. Now again, remember that mountain that the Israelites were standing at the foot of, and God is going to make himself known to them. We're just going to read the first verse, and then we're going to take a look at what it means. Exodus 20, verse 1. 
And God spoke all these words, saying, pause. In, the first five, in these first five words, God spoke all these words. We have the communication of God to sinful humanity. You and I who have sinned against God, who have failed to love God, who have failed to love God's creation, who have stuck our noses up at God, who have committed treason against God, God saw fit to speak to us. And he condescends in this way. Like I said, the flame came down onto the mountain, and he speaks personally to the people. And so we have here the powerful and the just and the loving. All the things that God is, is speaking to us, to you and I. And he speaks not only to the Israelites in ancient Israel a couple thousand years ago, but he's speaking to me and he's speaking to you through his word, which is the scriptures, even tonight. So take that in this first verse. And as we continue through the sermon series, every single night for the next ten Wednesdays, remember those words. And God spoke all these words, saying, there is weight and there's authority in that. To know that God is speaking these words even to your own heart. They're from the very breath of God. That's something to to look to as we study this. And then Exodus 20 verse 2. There's a lot in this verse. Let's read it. God spoke all these words saying, what does he say? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I am first. I am. These are the same words that God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Are you guys familiar with that story? Moses is out tending his sheep in the countryside, and all of a sudden he sees this burning bush, and the burning bush is not consumed because God is perfect in himself. He needs nothing to complete him, but he just is. And then he speaks to Moses, and Moses is like, he's like, hey, you're going to go save the people. And Moses is like, who should I say send me? He says, Tell, say, I am sends me. And God is saying, I am who I am. He is perfectly who he is. He is what he is. Last fall, you guys studied who God is. Now think about all those things and think of God perfectly as all those things at the same time. God's not made up of parts. He simply is what he is. Before anything was, God is. And that is the reason that he can give us this law. Because he's the creator and because he simply is a part on his own. He can give us this law. And he writes a perfect law for us. The the power of the law comes from the lawgiver. And so in the the law, in the Ten Commandments we have, which we're going to continue to look at, we have a divine lawgiver. Who knows what's best for his people and who is perfect in himself. And so when we read this, I am the Lord your God, we might hear things like I am holy or I'm gracious, I'm righteous, I am steadfast love, I am truth, I am power, I am unchanging, I am glory, I am present, I am merciful. All the things that God is, he's saying I am this all at the same time. He is what he is. I am what I am. So, There's our lawgiver. And if that's the case, that same voice that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush now speaks to you, junior hires in Rockford 2023, through the scriptures, making himself known, saying, I am who I am. There's sort of a therefore listen attached to the end of it. Like if the God of the universe is speaking to you, do you think you're going to listen? I am who I am. God spoke. Behold your God. Before coming to the law, before coming to the specifics of the law of the Ten Commandments, behold your God. Know who's speaking to you. And then second, the second phrase is your God. I am, the divine name, God himself, your God. God's not like a powerful genie who just created the world and then steps back from it, removes himself from it, and just watches the world spin around and around and around. It's like, all right, you guys, hope you guys are chilling down there. God is who he is. He is all that he is, but he's also intimately 
related to and personally related to his creation. He says to Israel, I am your God. I belong to you. You belong to me. It's this transaction with Israel where he's saying that, that they're, they're mutually each other's. This great, powerful God who can't be contained by anything claims to be Israel's God. It's such a sweet thing. And he cares for his people then. If, if we are the people of God, if you are in Christ Jesus, then you are a part of the church, and you are a part of the people of God, then for you to look in the law is like to have a king who says, hey, there's a gold mine over there. I want you to go dig in it and take everything that you find home. Everything that's written in the law is for your good, believer. If you are in the church, if you are in Christ, everything in this is a gold mine of good for you. And God is, God is telling you to do it, yes. They're commanded of you. They're the demandments. They're demanded of you. But it is for your good if you are his people because he cares for you in that intimate connection. And so then third, I am the Lord your God. This I am, this great God, who is who he is, says I am your God. He connects himself with Israel, or in other words, he connects himself with the church. If you are in Christ, you are in the church, and he's connecting himself with you, then the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's doing something here. God doesn't just show up out of the blue, sit on top of Mount Sinai and say, hey, I need you guys to do all this stuff. But like I said in the beginning, God went to a specific people in history and he chose them and he took them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led them through the Red Sea. He provided water for them in the wilderness. He provided bread for them in the wilderness. And then he gave them the law in order to mark them out as a special people to himself so that all the nations might look on Israel and say they belong to God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If Jesus, if God has brought you out of sin, if you have come to Jesus by faith and repentance, junior hires, then God has brought you out of a land of slavery because sin is slavery to us. Those who are in sin return to their sin constantly and cannot get away from it. But when Jesus frees you from sin and then leads you through the wilderness and provides for you and cares for you and then gives you his law so that you might know how to live a life of holiness that is pleasing to him, that's a sweet thing. God is not static. He's doing things for his people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And with that, no one can obey the law. No one can get out of Egypt on their own, except Christ, who perfectly obeyed the law, who was never enslaved to, enslaved to his own sins, who perfectly obeyed the law before God on our account. And so read this last section with me. Chapter 20, verse 18 says this. God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, all these amazing things we just looked at, and then go down through the Ten Commandments. Verse 18, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid, you think? And they trembled, and they stood far off, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear God. Do not fear. God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. But the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. You see this holy God that descended on Mount Sinai? He is indeed a holy God. He cannot be contained. And when we hear the law, when we hear the Ten Commandments, when you know of your sin in your heart, when you see your sin because of the Ten Commandments, then the hope is that it would drive us to Christ every time we see the Lord. Just as the people 
They heard the words of the Lord and they were terrified. No wonder, because they heard these thunderings and these, they saw lightning and, and they heard the trumpet and they saw the smoke. And they were absolutely terrified when they heard the word of the Lord. And they drew back, they stepped back. And so when you hear the Ten Commandments, or when God's law confronts your sin, confronts your sinful heart, and when God's law confronts my sinful heart, we have only about to step back and, be, and stand far off, except there is a mediator who goes between us and God, who enters in before the presence of God, and who speaks to God on our behalf, and then comes back to us and speaks to us on God's behalf. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, who will come into the presence of God? Only he who is without sin. All of you who are without sin have no hope of entering into God's presence. But if you will unite yourself to Jesus by faith and repentance, he will, like Moses, go up into God's presence on your behalf and speak on your behalf because he is the sinless one. And so, as we step back from the law now, the law cannot save you. The law will not save you. Every time that you hear the thunderings of Mount Sinai, all that you will do is step back and stand far off. But that's not God's plan or intention for his people. God's intention, again, is for, to have an intimate relationship with his people. He wants to draw them close to himself through his beloved son, Jesus Christ, who has pure, a pure heart and clean hands, who has ascended the hill of the Lord. He has already gone up. And so by union with him, you may go into God's presence. So you who are not in Jesus... You are still in slavery to sin. You're still in Egypt. And you have a cruel master. It's worse than Pharaoh. Satan is your master. Jesus says to all those who are living in sin that Satan is their father. That he is over them. But Jesus stands ready and willing to take you into his family. To lead you out of the land of Egypt, as it were. And to provide for you and care for you in the wilderness. To give you a law so that you might live lives of holiness. And to give you life. And so the law now, if you are not in Jesus, then the law stands to condemn you. The law is a finger that points to every single one of the things you've done or thought or said wrong ever before the face of God. God sees that. The law is a lamp that flickers on in your dark hearts and it shows where all of the sin is at in your heart. The law is a death sentence to all those who are not in Christ. It is eternal separation from God. And there's, there's only one way to be forgiven, and it is not through the law. If you attempt to keep the law, you will fail every single time. There is one way into the presence of God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Truly God and truly man, he enters into the presence of God. And that offer is open to you. I pray that you would consider the sin of your soul tonight. If you are not in Jesus, consider this. If you're not living in obedience to God, if you're not in Jesus, where do you stand before God? You will either enter into eternal punishment forever, which I don't want for any of you, or you may have faith and repentance in Christ, and you can enter into the presence of God. The law will not save, but the gospel of Christ will save. And then to those who are in the law, or who are in Christ, that's the beauty of it. You are no longer under the law. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that verse, Romans 8.1? If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a sweet promise to quote to The law will still, <laughs> sometimes the law will still try to scare you with its peelings and its rumblings, saying you've disobeyed again, you don't know God. But if you are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing which can separate you from the love of God. 
if you've had true faith and repentance in him. And the law is a guide to you in holiness. It is a guide for your life in holiness. Life's a jungle, man. The law is a, is a path for you to follow. It lights up your path. The psalmist says that it's a lamp to your path. It's like if you were walking in the dark and you had a flashlight. The law is that flashlight which shows us where we're going so we might obey God properly. And David says in the Psalms that the law is more valuable to him than gold and it is sweeter to him than honey. And so I hope that over the next 10 weeks that you guys will hear that and that you will learn what the law is. That those of you who stand under condemnation will turn to Christ Jesus. And those of you who are in Christ will know that sweet promise that you have. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that you will see the law as a guide for your life so that you might live lives of holiness to him. And that you can say with all the saints, if you're in Christ, you can say this with all the saints. When, Zion, when uh, Sinai thunders, and you hear those peals of thunder from Sinai, which is the law, then you can say, here I am, not having a righteousness of my own based on the law, but having the righteousness of Christ, which is through faith. Father, thank you for all the students here, and I thank you for your law, God. I pray that you would make your law known to us, Give us your law so that we would have this guide in our life to know how to live lives of holiness to you. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding, even in my stammering and my, my poorness, Father. I pray that you would make your word known beautifully, as you did to the Israelites when you showed up powerfully on Mount Sinai. Do you so the same in the hearts of the students here? Show up powerfully and make your presence known there. Regenerate and make new with the gospel, Father. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.